Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about living a graceful life. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to download our app. Our app is available for Android and iOS, and it is a great way to get the content that we put out as a church. You can listen to our sermons like the one you're listening to now, but you can also watch all of our videos, sermons, and otherwise. It's an easy way to know about all of our events, and you can even watch our services live on our app. And so I hope that you'll consider downloading it if you're consuming our content anyway. You can get it by going to wilsonville.church app. That's wilsonville.church app. Or you can search Creekside Bible Church in the App Store or the Google Play Store, and you'll find it there too. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's a great day. It's Mother's Day. I'm excited about that. My wife said that the Blazers kind of ruined Mother's Day, but I feel the exact opposite. In fact... I looked, and it turns out that the last day that the NBA season can be going is Father's Day. That would be Game 7 of the NBA Finals, and I would love for the Blazers to ruin Father's Day. That would be so much fun. Uh, and, and so we have the Blazer game, Mother's Day, and, and frankly, I'm excited to be here with you. My wife, as I came out, mentioned that I should say that those devotional booklets, uh, books, they're not booklets, they're full books, uh, are for all women, whether you are a biological mother or not. We appreciate you at this church and the way that you mother spiritually even the people at our church or people in your life. And so please take one of those. Uh, you know, Mother's Day uh, events, you know, certain events in our church, they they remind me of what a blessing it is to be a pastor. I love that people come here and there's this holiday that apparently we've now learned the woman who created the holiday didn't like, but there's this holiday whether we like it or not. And and you come and, and some of you come with your mothers and, and we celebrate this together. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but there are things about being a pastor that aren't so great. And God helped me deal with some of those things really early on in my ministry. And, and, be, and this is because a lot of the things that are difficult about being a pastor, I shouldn't tell you this, this secret, it's about the person next to you, not you. It's because of the people that are in the church and, and people can be difficult to deal with. And as a pastor, you, and I've been saved from so much. So it's not, our church is great and I've been blessed and I hear other stories. But as a pastor, people more than maybe any other position, they feel like they can you know, tell you how your job should go and what you should do in your job. And, and, and you can't just go like, hey, dude, like, I spent seven years studying it so you can leave. Like, you can't say that. And, and so you, you really, you have to, to figure out how to, to deal with things. That's what it feels like. But this incredible thing happened for me really early in my time as the pastor here that helped me not deal with things and instead uh, handle things in a much better way. I'll get to that in a second. And this is what it was. We were in a small group and we did this exercise that we used to do with our young adult group. And this exercise... You would grab a rock with, let's say, one of the fruits of the Spirit, some type of biblical-sounding word, something that Christians say a lot. And you would grab one of these rocks, and then you would spend time praying and asking God, like, hey, God, 
if there's any reason that I pulled this rock out of the hat, then, then reveal to me what that is. And we weren't looking for something magical, right? Like you got the perfect rock, but more it was an exercise in, in just asking God, like, you know, how does faith, like what do you need to teach me about faith, God? Let's say you grabbed that rock. And we did this right after I became the pastor and I pulled out this rock right here, which obviously you won't be able to read. And the rock was love. Uh, it says love on it. It's fading now, but it, it says love on it. And I pulled the rock out, and we spent the five minutes or so asking God, like, you know, what, what would you say to me about love, God? And the thing that God revealed to me in that moment that, that has really been an important part of my ministry is, is this. He, he basically whispered in my ear, don't deal with people, love people. That was such a powerful thing for me to hear and frankly especially early in your ministry there the people who don't like you haven't left yet and and so you're still kind of balancing you know the way things that have been done but also trying to create this new vision and and trying to to kind of you know help a church stop dying and start growing and living and all of those things and and so there were there were a handful of people that I really felt like I'm going to I'm going to deal with these people. I'll I'll deal with them and then I'll I'll try to do the ministry, you know, after I deal with them or whatever. And, and God just said, you don't, you don't as a pastor ever deal with people. You always love people. We all face pressure, right? Like pastoring kind of presents its own unique set of pressures, but we all have them and they're all unique to us. And that's what we're talking about in this series. These things that we face that, that cause the pressure in our lives to mount. And you know, them right like your family can do it to you your marriage can be a point of pressure your your job is obviously a point of pressure your your school is a point of pressure your family outside of the immediate family you know like your mother can be a point of pressure like why haven't you had grandbabies yet uh and you know what i mean some of you young women know what i mean like like there's all of these pressures in our lives And it's hard to deal with them. And it's hard, this is the whole idea behind this series of sermons, it's hard to continue to live in a beautiful, or or the word that we're using, a graceful way when that pressure starts to mount. And most of the time, what we do in order to handle the pressure is we say, how can I deal with this? How can I handle this? And I think what we're going to see this morning is that, that if we're just trying to handle pressure all the time, then it's never going to be that graceful. But if love will become the key attribute of our lives, then it doesn't matter how much pressure we face, we'll continue to live gracefully. Here's the, here's the idea for this morning. Love is the key characteristic of the beauty that defines a graceful life. Love is the key characteristic of the beauty that defines a graceful life. Like, let me just, I mean, look at this. What causes us to graciously and quietly forgive our spouses when they have wronged us instead of yelling back? It's love. What causes us to calmly talk to our children when they're being insufferable? It's love. What causes us to be kind to people at work when they're being idiots? It's, we probably don't call them idiots we, <laughs> and fit this metaphor, but, but it's love, right? It's love. Love is the key characteristic of the beauty that defines a graceful 
life. And Paul is going to make this so clear to us in this passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians. Well, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture that I think go hand in hand. I think they're married together in some ways. And we begin in 1 Thessalonians 3.11 where it says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Last week I introduced our passage of scripture by kind of setting the scene. I'm going to do it again in case you weren't here. And that is Paul had planted this church with a couple of his buddies. They had started this church. They had got this church off the ground. They had got it going. And then they were forced to leave the city of Thessalonica. This church was still young. The people didn't have Bibles because the Bibles were not just in print, you know. They were weak in their faith. They were young in their faith. And Paul had had to leave them behind. And he desperately wanted to get back to this church so that him and his friends, they could impart some more wisdom to them. They could help them be more sturdy, more full in their faith, but he had been prevented from doing so. And so Paul, again here, he's like, hey, what I'm praying for is that God would clear the way so that I could come to you and, if you remember the last verse of last week, which you probably don't, so that he could supply what was lacking in their faith. And so with that desire in mind, Paul's just said, look, I want the, the road cleared so that I can come and be with you and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul, with that in mind, he kind of adds to the things that he is praying for them. And this is what he says in verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Here's the reality. Our lives become more graceful no matter what pressures we face, as our love grows and overflows. I don't know why Paul didn't rhyme it. He said increase and overflow. At least that's how the, uh, the translators did it. But I think it's so much more memorable when we say grows and overflows. When your love is growing and overflowing, then, then you are going to be living a life that is defined as graceful. And what Paul does here is he says there's two groups that should be the objects of our love. The first one is one another. We should love one another. This is such an important phrase in the Bible that in fact, and we didn't plan it to connect here, but it does, the next series of sermons that we are going to do starting on June 9th is about several one another's in the Bible because this word comes up over and over, especially within the context of church. You are to love one another, you are to greet one another, and so on and so forth. And so we're going to spend six weeks Three weeks, I'm going to be preaching on it. In three weeks, Matt is going to be preaching on what the Bible says we ought to do for and with one another as a, as a church. But it starts, and this is so clear, right, with loving one another. We ought to love one another. That is the people in our church. And that's really easy to say. You probably say that you love everybody here. That's really, you know, it's so simple. We just love. We just say, I love people. I love everybody. Christians say that. But when you compare how we love to what the Bible says about love, sometimes we fall short. First Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, which you've heard at a wedding before, says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When you compare that to how you love people here in our church, then 
It's clear, right? I hope it's clear to you that there is room for all of us to grow towards that. There is room for all of us to continue to be strengthened in our love for one another. I think that one of the the sad things that we do is that we're very content in how we love others, at least those that we don't interact with very much. We're very content with just saying, yeah, I love them. I'm pretty nice to them. You know, we're cordial. We, We share nice little sentiments when we see each other. We talk about the weather. But I think what Paul is saying to us is that when it comes especially to the church setting, first and foremost, the church setting, how we feel and act towards one another, we should be developing in our love for each other. We should be kinder and we should be less envious and we should be less boastful and less proud and we should be more honoring and less self-seeking but more seeking their good and we should be not easily angered towards others and we should not have a record of wrong somewhere in the back of our heads that says like hey they stole my seat or whatever at church one time we should not delight in evil but we should rejoice in the truth and we should rejoice with others as Paul says elsewhere we should be moving towards this we should be growing and overflowing in our love for the people that we that we do church with but the second group is everyone else and uh, this includes other Christians. First Thessalonians 4.10 says that. We'll read that in just a little bit. But also uh, those outside of Christianity. We should be growing and overflowing in our love for people. One author said it, uh, something to this effect. It wasn't quotable, but it was a memorable idea that, that really church becomes the practice ground for how we ought to love everybody. You know how you, it's, it's like hard to, to say like you love a total stranger if you can't even be loving to the people that you're close to. And, and what we should see in church, what we should be doing in church is like working on, growing and strengthening our love for one another so that we can then turn around and love people outside of the church. I don't know, but I make a lot of kind of mental notes about the state of the American church, and uh, frankly, this is sad, but in our denomination, um, and I'm a lot around a lot of pastors in our denomination, it's just like most of these churches are, are dying, but they seem so bitter and angry towards the rest of the world, and, and, and it's really a fascinating kind of thing to me, because if you just look back in time, we had, you know, the late 80s, 90s, probably before that but that's what I remember because I grew up in those times there's so many like church splits and people being mad at each other over like music there was a whole time period in church history that we just talked about the worship wars all the time it was whether we're going to sing old songs or new songs and churches would split over this and people would be mad over this and and I mean there's churches where literally people have seats and I was kind of kidding earlier because that would never happen in our church but like people are mad if somebody sits in their seat and Man, there's churches that, that get all fired up about, like, the, the church. This was like a real thing when I was in college. We talked about, we don't, funny, we don't have drums today. I turned around to point to the drums. But, um, like, what, can we get drums on a stage? And people would be mad about that. And, and, and when you see such a lack of love within the confines of church, right? People mad at each other over just the simplest, most basic things that nobody should ever been mad about. Is it any surprise at all? that we're jerks to the outside world, the unbelievers, the non-Christians, and that in some ways we're known for our lack of love towards people that are outside of our group. It's not. Because church is meant to be the place where we work on our love and then it, it extends outward towards other people, all people, all groups of people, all people. 
And Paul, he says this thing. He says, our, our love should grow and overflow. That's what he says. And, and the first thing I would point to is, is that it's a prayer that God would do that in your life. But I think that growing in love is this like, it's this really interesting thing because we think if I, if I just felt more loving, but I just don't think it works that way. I don't think that's what love is biblically. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But I think it's, it, it works in two ways. I think that God is the one who increases and causes our love to overflow. But it's, it happens as we, as we actively practice love, as we do loving things no matter how we feel. I think that God grows and overflows our love as we say, I will act loving towards other people. And, and I think the Bible wouldn't say it's acting loving. I, I think the Bible would say it's being loving towards other people because the Bible doesn't seem to connect how we feel to what love is. In 1 John three sixteen, in fact, it says, this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. That's huge. That's a definition of love. And it doesn't say, this is how we know what love is. It's this feeling that's really hard to explain and you know, it's kind of magical and you, you see stars and it's, it's like, no, this is how you know what love is. Jesus sacrificed willingly his life for us. He, he was patient with us and he wasn't proud or self-seeking, but he lowered himself, even taking on the nature of a servant and dying a brutal death on a cross for us. That's love. And our love grows and overflows when we, when we say, hey, I'm going to be loving towards people. No matter how I feel about them, I'm going to be loving towards people. And I'm going to ask God to increase and overflow my love towards others. I uh, brought this coffee pot up here, um, and I'm sorry coffee people if you needed it i didn't ask if i could take it if there's no coffee after church it's because i brought this um this doesn't matter but i I worked at a retirement home for five years uh on and off and uh, it was my late high school college job when i wasn't playing baseball which meant i i didn't it wasn't very often that i was there Uh, but i enjoyed my time there for the most part but there was this one really awful day I don't remember if it was morning or afternoon or evening I don't know if we were serving breakfast lunch or dinner but we had this coffee machine and 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 weirdly enough because you know we served like 110 people or something in the evenings the the coffee machine didn't have a big craft like this it was a, a small little thing uh and and I I was set it up I put the coffee in or whatever and I hit the button and it didn't do anything and so I hit the button again and I think I only hit it twice, which will matter to the story in a second, but I might have hit it like a third or a fourth time. And so coffee starts being made, and we start serving tables, and all of a sudden, it is overflowing everywhere. Because apparently, the coffee maker will make as much coffee for how many times you've pressed the button. And uh, however many times I pressed the button, it was making that much coffee, and there was a little thing here, and I'm t- I, people were so mad at me my grandma was the boss and so I didn't get fired and nobody yelled at me but we're trying to serve tables and it's you know it's a lot of people and it has to happen really fast like we weren't we couldn't talk to anybody even 
and oh man, I mean, we got like it's it's pretty much just water at this point because I overflowed it with water. But water is all over our feet, and so we're like cleaning and walking and trying to get all of this this food out at the right time so that elderly women weren't yelling at us there was these ladies who if the bacon wasn't burnt they'd yell at you every time and you just don't want to make them mad you don't want to deal with that and, and when I thought about overflowing love I, I just that's what came to mind and I know it was such a negative story but what if we could flip it and our love looked like that like so noticeable and so effective towards everything nobody could ignore it nobody could jump over it nobody could get around it everybody was affected by it our lives would pretty be pretty graceful right I mean and what if every pressure we face in every area of life that we brought that pressure our love was growing and overflowing in such a way that every little piece of it was affected by our love wouldn't we be like so graceful and how we live our lives wouldn't that look so graceful if every piece every area every spot every moment every person was affected by our love no matter how much pressure we were facing and Paul says like I just pray and I'm just praying that God would grow and overflow your love he says he says like ours is towards you and when I, when I finally noticed that for the you know, first several times when I was working on this, I just kind of skipped over it. Like it's just this thing Paul kind of threw on the end. But then I really started to think about how incredible Paul's life was, how, how graceful Paul's life was. He is in many ways uh, a great example of how we desire to live. Not because of the things he faced, not the pressures he faced. We don't want to face any of them. I mean, the guy literally got rocks thrown at him for his faith. He was beaten and he was kicked out of cities and he was always running for his life. And we don't want to to have those things happen to us. But in the midst of all of that, every pressure he faced, which was pressure that I'll never face, he continued to live a beautiful life. He continued to live gracefully. And I think a huge part of that a huge part of that is that his love was growing and overflowing. He tells it like he loves. He loves the Jewish people that he looks at and says, you're missing your Messiah. But he spends his life devoted to those outside of Judaism and trying to lead Gentiles into a relationship with Jesus. And and so he loves them enough to go tell them the truth about Jesus, even when they're mean to him. And then he loves them, uh, the churches that develop, and he longs to be with them. I'll just tell you, like, personally, I'm not that way at all. There are very few people who leave my life that I ever think about again. There's some, there's a few, there's some that might be listening right now, and I love you guys if it's you, but... uh, people that move away from our church and continue to be a part of it online. There's some that I love, but most people, once they leave my life, I forget about them. Like I just, you know, I might see them on Facebook, but I don't care anymore. And I say that only to say, I think, I think it's a lack of love. Like if I loved like Paul, it wouldn't matter who left my life. I would still, I would still care about them and pray about them and be there for them and root for them and, invest in them and long to see them again 
I think it is Paul's growing and overflowing love that causes him to live gracefully despite facing such intense pressure that he is constantly fleeing for his life. And I think that if we would grow and overflow in our love, then we would live more gracefully. This section concludes by saying in verse 13, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. I, I like this phrase that doesn't show up in the NIV, shows up better in the King James Version and, and several other versions, but it's more accurate. It says, so that you would have strengthened hearts. He's like, hey, I want you to grow and overflow in your love so that you will be strengthened in your heart so that you will be blameless and holy. It's this great line, this, this kind of thing that's moving forward in a linear fashion. And the first thing is you grow and overflow in your love so that your hearts may be strengthened. That doesn't just mean our emotion, although, although that's surely a part of it. In the kind of Greek world to which Paul is writing, the heart is, is wrapped up, it's, it's a center of our intellect and our emotions and our will. It's all these things, it's us, right? I mean, is there anything that drives what we do besides our intellect and our emotions and our will? And so Paul is saying, I want, I want who you are to be strengthened by your love. You grow and overflow in your love so that you as a person is strengthened to live a life that is, notice this, so that, the second so that, so that you will be blameless and holy. That's what we want. We want to get it right. We want to do it right. We don't want to make mistakes. So much of what is ungraceful about our lives is that we, that we do it wrong. We fall down. We struggle. And Paul is like, you, you grow in your love so that you as a person will be strengthened, so that you will be blameless and holy. You'll get it, you'll get it right. Now what we think about right is, is that right means doing it in the way that God wants us to do it, right? We talked last week about how important the, how important the strength of our faith is in determining how graceful we can be as people if we don't have strong faith then we're too weak we will be too weak to live a graceful life but how ungraceful would our life lives be if we were handling things well but doing all the wrong stuff and and being holy and blameless means we're doing the right things we're doing the things that God wants us to do. He's given us a blueprint. I thought about it this way. How ungraceful would ballet look if everybody was doing whatever they wanted, even if they were doing super cool things? Wouldn't look very good, right? Don't tell her I said this, but Hazel has, a, has a, her first dance recital coming up. You're all invited. It's at Rolling Hills. I'm sure you'll be there. Um, probably going to be the highlight of your lives. <laughs> and, and I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm picturing a group of seven or so girls doing cute things but doing nothing the same, right? And it's not going to look graceful. It'll look cute, but it won't look graceful. If we aren't doing the right things, then it's not graceful. 
the world might like it, they might laugh at it, they might think, well, this person handles stuff well, but until we live the way that Jesus wants us to live, then it's not really the, gr- the graceful life that, that we, especially we who are Christians, are aiming for. And then there's this amazing last thing. We're trying to live holy and blameless in the presence of our God and Father. When our Lord Jesus comes, the goal of moving forward and getting things right is not so that people will like us more, so that we can impress our friends, even so that we can be more successful in the things we do. It's, it's all about, it's all for the glory of God. We haven't talked about that in this series. I mean, we all want to live gracefully. We all want to get it right. We all want to have a strong faith. We all want to grow and overflow in our love, I think. But until the audience that we are trying to be graceful for is God, it's going to be really hard to live gracefully. This is saying, look, look, this is all, this is all not about doing it better or doing it right or being better than your neighbor or impressing your mom on Mother's Day. It's all about being holy for the one who made us holy. And that is, that is God, that is Jesus. We live in light of this incredible gospel story that God looked down from heaven If you don't know this, you need to know the story. God looked down from heaven. He saw that we were sinners. And he stepped out of heaven in the person of Jesus. He lived sinlessly. He lived perfectly. He lived utterly gracefully. And then he died at the end of that life with the hands of people who were murdering him. And as he died, he suffered the weight of our sins. He paid the punishment of our sins. He died for all of us. And then three days later, he rose again. And if you're a Christian, you've embraced that story as true. And you've said, Jesus, I will live my life for you. And when you think about living gracefully under pressure, you ought to say, I, live, I want to live gracefully under pressure, God, because of what you have done for me. What you've done for me. After this, Paul kind of has these several verses kind of talking about, you know, the specifics of, of living a life that is blameless and pure and holy. And then at the end of that section, or near the end of that section, he returns to the topic of love in First uh, Thessalonians 4, 9. He says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Kind of a funny thing to say when he's literally writing. Like, I don't need to write you. Wait, you are writing me about my love. But, but he says, look, look, you already know. You've already been taught about this love thing. And I'm just going to say it it's so clearly that if you're a Christian, then you've already been taught that love is important. Let me just tell you how. I mean, the Old Testament talks a ton about love. We don't think of it that way, but it talks a ton about love. It, it says over and over that God is uh, abounding in love. Jesus shows up on the scene, says that the greatest commandments are to love God and then love others, and then he demonstrates a total life of love. Jesus dies and the Holy Spirit comes and, and he leads people to write in the New Testament about love, but Paul's saying, I didn't even know to write this because what he seems to be saying is the Holy Spirit is also talking to us who are Christians to say, look, love, 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 love. All true Christians have a disposition towards love. It's written on our hearts. God has already taught us about the importance of love. It's just a matter of whether or not we're going to do our best to live out what he has taught us. Man, I had the privilege to 
to listen to a couple of stories, radio theater style, recently. Um, I, I don't know if you know this about me. I say this in a lot of sermons, but my favorite form of entertainment in the whole world is dramatized audio. That's what I love more than movies, more than books. I love dramatized audio. And uh, Focus on the Family, if you know who Focus on the Family is, they do incredible dramatized audio. And and for our anniversary, one of the parts of my gift that Bryn gave me was was this one that I've wanted forever. It's been on my Christmas list forever. I don't know what my parents are doing. They haven't gotten it for me. But finally, uh, I got this this dramatized audio that was Amazing Grace. And uh, there's three stories in it, and I didn't know that when I got it, but they're the stories of John Newton and William Wilberforce are the two that I want to allude to today. And uh, I knew this story a little bit, but John Newton was a, a slave trader, and then upon his conversion, he wrote the song Amazing Grace. And, and that story's been told a lot in church history. But what I didn't know about John Newton is that his conversion experience was not nearly as cut and dry as that. It's not like John Newton was like, Jesus, I give you my life. I quit my job. I'm moving on. He became a Christian and for years continued in the slave trade and continued to do horrible things to slaves. The difference for him, you want to know the difference? Is that it tore him up inside when he continued to do those things. The law of love was written on his heart and he was disobeying it at times, but he was trying and fighting and striving to move towards being more loving until he finally quit the profession altogether, became a pastor and wrote the song that we know as Amazing Grace. Now in this story, I don't know how accurate this is, but but I think it's probably uh, true or really close to the truth. John Newton becomes a pastor and his nephew or somebody that's closely connected to him is William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce, you may know this, is, is probably the most important reason that, uh, that England outlawed the slave trade. And what's so fascinating about his life is it's almost the opposite of John Newton's in that William Wilberforce kind of did everything right, was seen as a nice guy, people liked him, he was in Parliament, youngest guy elected to Parliament as it turns out, he's serving in the political world, he's doing good things for his country, but then he gives his life to Jesus and he knows that his position must be used for the love of others. And so he spends the rest of his life fighting to abolish slavery because he loves people. If we're Christians, we know we ought to love. The question is just whether or not we're going to do it. Whether we're going to be people that God wants to grow and overflow our love within. Now look, there's this last verse because I just, I know most of you, most of you, are pretty loving people, but there's this final verse that no matter where you've come in here today, no matter how much you love or don't love or whatever, you've got to listen to this, 1 Thessalonians 4.10. And in fact, you do love all God's people, excuse me, all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. They love each other. They love the family of God. And if you're loving, you're just like them. And Paul says, here's the deal. If you're a loving person, then here's the aim of your life. Here's what's gonna help you grow in the beauty of your life so that you can have a life that is described as graceful. You must love 
more and more. Wherever you are on this scale of love that you've probably never thought about before, but wherever you are, I mean, if, if you're over here and you're like, a, you're like a nine in your love, I should have used a, a higher number, you're like a 900 on your love, or you're down here and you're like a 200 on your love, Paul is saying, you need to be moving this way towards the infinite love of God. You need to be moving towards the infinite love of God, working, striving, fighting to love as Jesus loved you as Jesus loved you Jesus life was the most graceful life ever I've already described some of it to you but even while he walked on earth he was an incredible example even even before he died for our sins and came back to life and rules and reigns in the heaven in many ways on our behalf even before all of that he lived such a model life when you read about how he interacted with people. How he had compassion on people. There is only one good word to describe it. It's graceful and that grace was driven by love because love is the key characteristic of the beauty that is described, that is characteristic of, that drives a life that is graceful. And so this morning as we gather here you came in and you're, you're a certain amount of loving, right? And, and you have pressures that you're gonna face every day and, and sometimes, let me just tell you, you go, you do things, you go, like, that wasn't very graceful, that wasn't very kind, that wasn't very beautiful, that wasn't very nice, that was sinful. And I hope that when you leave here, every time you do one of those things that you go, that was not beautiful, you would remember that it should point you, that it should cause you to want to grow and overflow in your love and you would strive to do that in two ways. Here's, your ap- here's the application. Here's what you gotta do. One, you gotta be praying to God. You could probably ask, you should probably ask somebody else to pray to God that you would grow and overflow in your love. Paul is asking that on their behalf of God. God, please grow them and overflow them in their love. You need to be asking God. You need to be begging God. You need to be praying that God would grow you in your love and cause that love to overflow to people in your church and to everyone else. But then you need to begin to act loving to the best of your ability. We cannot wait. We cannot sit around and go, someday I'm going to feel something better about these people. We must start to act loving now, trying to love like Jesus did trying to love in a sacrificial giving way that is good for the other person, even at the expense of ourselves, because love is the key characteristic of the beauty that defines a graceful life. Let me pray that you'll do that. Lord Jesus, I pray that we, man, first, God, I'll pray that that just we who are here, those who are listening online, God, that we would grow and overflow in our love. I'll pray it, God. God, let us be people who grow who increase in our love and and let that love overflow and affect every area of our lives, God, specifically for this morning, every area of our life, God, that that is feeling, facing pressure, God. I pray, God, that for the people who sit in front of me and again, those listening online, that 
that God, they would be more loving towards their spouses, they'd be more loving towards their parents, they'd be more loving towards their kids, they'd be more loving towards their co-workers, they'd be more loving towards their extended family, they'd be more loving towards people at the grocery store, they'd be more loving towards other drivers on the road, God, they'd be more loving towards their neighbors, they'd be more loving to everybody, God. Grow and overflow their love. But I also pray, God, for us as a church, that we would be a church, God, who loves each other passionately and loves those outside of the church desperately, God. Let us be a church that when people think about us, they can't help but first think about how loving we are, God. Just like when I had all the coffee overflow, God, I pray that in our communities, God, our love would overflow so that people, Lord, would would know that we are a church that loves them, that cares about them, that sacrifices for them. And Lord, let us do it all because we want to be holy and blameless in your sight. Let us do it all because we want to express your glory, God, to the world. Let us do it all, God, because we know how much you loved us and how much, God, you deserve from us. Let us be a people, let us be a church, God, whose love grows and overflows always. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.